Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. Uh, today, I'm joined by Kurt and Pete. How you doing, fellas? Making me talk to the audience is emotional labor. I don't no, care I mean, hey, about nobody or nothing or <laughs> no way, no how. It's just me against the world, motherfucker. Me and my hog. Damn. <laughs> Kurt, you know, that is you know, this reaction for me is very surprising to me because it really I guess I guess all the YA people are correct. You you can't you can't be trusted. <laughs> we we right. can't be trusted to to have uh you know non uh morally upstanding characters in, in our books. It's their bad influence. That's right. I mean my big concern is that I don't think Kurt has a motorcycle. Uh, I have a bicycle. Oh, he's stealing valor. I have a bicycle. Okay, well, you start talking about you and your hog, and you know. <laughs> mm. Well, okay. <laughs> GP, thanks for making it weird. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, there you go. So uh, today we are going to be discussing uh, a, a Zelazny um, classic, right? Um, Damnation Alley, which uh, which is uh, originally was a novella, and uh, we we ended up reading the novel length one, which is slightly longer. Um, and uh, so, Kurt, um, you were the one that that actually uh, proposed this one, and I, I, you know, hats off. It it was a is a cracking read. <laughs> but why did you want to? Um, why did you want to touch this? You know, like like talk about Damnation Alley. Uh, so there's two things that make this book, uh, very special to me. One, uh, I was thinking about it earlier and I realized this is actually the first Roger Zelazny book I read. Uh, and the reason was I had the opportunity to take a class, uh, at Drexel in, uh, post-apocalyptic slash nuclear literature. So we read like, we read On the Beach, we read Canticle for Leibowitz, um, we read a couple other things that, that, that escaped me just now. Um, I think we, all, we probably read The Road. Uh, and we didn't read Damnation Alley, but it was on the syllabus as other, th- as like recommended other reading. And this was one of those courses where like, I actually got all the books and then, and then I, gr- I, I read them like way after the fact. I was like very lazy about doing the reading. Um, and I happened to be at uh, a used bookstore in Philly uh, a month or two after the course concluded, and I saw this book on the shelf, and I was like, wow, what a cool cover. Um, it was like this the weird 70s cover, which is all red with like big weird spikes and shit on it and like a weird nuclear mm-hmm. sky. Uh, and I picked it up, um, and I was really struck by – it has this strange quality of – very low down, almost like exploitation cinema pulp uh, action where it's basically it's it's a bunch of st- kind of like stupid meathead guys 
waxing philosophical about the world while, you know, braining each other and shooting rifles and riding motorcycles and, you know, like th- and, through and, a radioactive and, and desert. Activating, activating uh, f- uh, flamethrowers yes. left and right. Yes, flamethrowers. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's and and there's a weird quality to it where it it almost reminds me of like a latter day uh, like sci-fi Conan sort of thing because it goes from very stupid meathead stuff to these multi-page unbroken soliloquies about the universe. <laughs> and I don't know, I was just very struck by it. And um, I am a huge fa- fa- fan of the book. And I think there's not a lot of, uh, right now anyway, I think there's not a lot of other stuff out there like this that that is both, you know, unselfconsciously stupid, but but also will be like, I'm going to be very smart for a couple pages uh, and so I don't know. I, I think it's unique, and I think we could use uh, some more stuff like this. So I thought it would be a good one to talk about. I I would say that I could think of an author who's done more than one book like this, and that is Roger Zelazny. Yes. Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah, but but otherwise, I'm in full agreement. I mean, he does this. Um, uh, it's almost like he created a subgenre within his work that is about a tenth of his books that we could call. Uh, fucking around with the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, he does seem to enjoy that. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, we've got these weird horse mutants that have gotten intelligence in their arms. They're centaurs. They look like the centaurs from the past. Why? Fuck you. That's why. They've got rifles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. So, the I guess the synopsis is pretty simple. I mean, honestly, uh, right off the bat, I, I feel like this is a um a novel that's probably been mined by many many different uh you know yes. uh, specifically movie makers i would say because I, I do get this feeling and game well yeah there there uh-huh. is yes we can we can get into that one too uh ah, lucas arts rip oh yes um, that, that, yeah good point yes i was thinking about that earlier yes yeah um it's but, it's but, also arguably a 160 page cigarette ad it is well, that too i mean, I mean that's all is, that's all zelazny zelazny loves it, well apparently apparently uh once he quit however his character stopped smoking copiously hmm. um but anyway what i was gonna say is that um for instance the like uh hell tanner which is what what a name <laughs> honestly what <Man>. a name <laughs> Like, <laughs> I just, how could you not, like, love a, a like you said, Kurt, this is like Meathead Philosophy 101 right there. Just a, a guy named Hell Tanner who waxes philosophic uh, in, in the, the long, dark watches of the night, uh, of the radioactive night, anyway. Uh, and And honestly, what a character. Like, right off the bat, I was going to say that um, he obviously reminds me, or, or uh, actually, Snake Plissken reminds me of yes. him. Oh, yes. He's a very Snake Plissken type character. Yeah, he's a, uh, he's an almost, I, he he is an almost iconically Snake Plissken um, yeah. character. And and so, a little bit about Hell Tanner. Uh, he is the the hardest motherfucker in the world. Um, and he's the last living hell's angel. Uh, and 
that's basically his character. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, he's it's it, 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 it's interesting because at the beginning he's very very thinly drawn, and as it goes on, um, he actually gets kind of like fleshed out a little bit and does you know some introspection. Um, but like at the beginning of the book, he's very much just like fuck you, fuckhead, you know, and and puts a cigarette out on his arm and and you know grits his teeth and stuff. And later on, he he does you know he he gets a little bit more depth to him, but uh, yeah. Not a not a complex character in in the abstract, so <laughs> no, no, not not particularly. But uh, but yeah, like uh, like it's it's a simple enough um, premise, really. It, it, you know, it, we we find out that uh, not not right off the bat. It's it doesn't have any like prologues or anything like that. But as the story progresses, he's in California. He gets nabbed. Um, and is then, uh, we learned that basically there's been a nuclear war, uh, and the, in, like the entire middle of the U S is just, uh, it's called damnation alley. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how good it is. It's, it's nice. Um, you know, the, the radiation does wonders for growth. Um, well, what I like about it is, um, and I, I mentioned video game inspiration, uh, the Fallout series is very heavily drawn from Damnation Alley, and it has sure. in particular that psychedelic edge to it, where it's it's not like a realistic canticle of Leibowitz, um, you know, post-nuclear war, where it's just, you know, like everything's r- like radioactive and fucked. Things are like psychedelically Michael Moorcock Elric fucked. Like there's I mean, constant, I, you know, radioactive, you know, electric rainbows across the sky and tornadoes that that rain debris and and you know g- giant rock hailstorms that 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 go on for days. It's and, and you know volcanoes have opened up in the middle of the country and there's giant lizards everywhere. It's just like oh don't don't forget the craters from the explosions. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bats the size of Winnebago's. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like also let's not forget, uh, Kurt, that it's also on the one hand, yes, it's psychedelic, uh, like the, the, like the environment outside of like, uh, the, the flora and fauna is very sort of psychedelic. It's very weird. Uh, but then the flora and fauna is straight out of like 1950s radioactive yes. cinema, uh, B movie stuff where it's like, it's giant spiders and giant Gila monsters and giant snakes and bats and, you know, thorny vines and all that good stuff. I just remembered uh, what I was going to say. I, I know where the origin of the Snake Bliskin character was. Hmm. John Carpenter knew a guy named Snake Bliskin. <laughs> he knew a guy named Hell Tanner who had yeah. brought uh, the cure for a plague. <laughs> he was like a high school bully or something and had the snake tattoo. And so he just made a character out of that the son rocks. of a bitch. That rocks. <laughs> hey, I know a guy. His name's Snake. <laughs> yeah. How could you not run with that? Yeah, it's why, exactly why like you? the Hell Tanner thing. Like, uh, Zelazny's, you know, doing his post office job, delivers the mail, sees it says Hell Tanner on that, and he's like, hey, oh, character. Was p- post office? Well, maybe he worked in the post office, but he also worked in uh, Social Security, which maybe <laughs> he saw a claim come through <laughs> as well. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Hell Tanner's collecting Social Security? <laughs> now that's a man with a story. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So yeah, so like there's a 
the gist of the story is that there's a plague there's a plague or multiple plagues in Boston. They don't have any uh anti serum and they have some in California. Someone has managed to drive from Boston to California uh and died, but they did manage to bring word. And so now um a this 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 group of convicts and and elite soldiers and and uh a, a real uh a, a a real rogues gallery of of tough guys is going to drive uh back across the country bringing the cure to to Boston in uh in in three big armored tank vehicles and that's basically the plot yeah and and they just to clarify they can't fly because of the all the aforementioned uh, debris being tossed up into the atmosphere, but also, if I'm remembering correctly, like obviously the 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 signals, like Hell isn't a an aviation engineer anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But he does mention that like something about uh, I'm going to guess the ele- the electromagnetic uh, the magnetosphere or whatever just is fucked. You can't even get signals to coordinate. Uh, even if you could fly, you'd ha- you'd have to fly so far up anyway that you couldn't really do it by eye. So mm-hmm. it's very very dangerous. Even if you could find a plane, yeah. Um, but and to to be fair to Zelazny, another way to say this is eliminate the possibility and move on to the story, which is what he was really saying. Oh, no, for sure. But I mean, also, you know, like you, you, you know, Pete, you know that there are sci-fi nerds out there that are like, well, well, they didn't, they, I mean, we still have dumb questions about why, why didn't they use the eagles to take Frodo to Mount Doom? It's like, like, excuse me, excuse me. They could have tunneled under the earth. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, anyway, so, um, it, and, and when you, when you mentioned that, uh, premise, Kurt, uh, this also starts to sound a lot like the starting point for the road warrior, except instead of gasoline, it's a plague, uh, plague anti-serum. Yes. Although apparently, um, uh, apparently, oh God, I'm totally, I'm totally blanking on his name now. Um, Fred Miller. Is it Fred Miller? George Miller. Thank you. George Miller. George Miller. Um, uh, apparently, he was not familiar with the story, uh, but it was mentioned to him to him afterwards. He was just familiar with Australia, which is already like this. <laughs> Gi- giant lizards? Oh, so he, had, he, he had his own darnation alley down there yeah. or something. Um, anyway, so uh, the other thing that uh, we, we mentioned, uh, video games, that I, I referenced uh, was... You had pointed out that full throttle. Um, a what? What when? When did that come out? I think ninety six. Like I think 90s? maybe ninety five. Yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah. Um, which is a, a a Tim Schafer, you know, somewhat funny, you know, quirky type of. Uh, it, it, it is. It is an amazing. All of the all of his his uh, games are are always fun in different ways. Uh, but yeah, um. Yeah, full throttle is a lot of fun. And uh what's his what is his name? Ben. I forget. His name is Ben, ben. I believe. <laughs> ben is uh is sort of uh modeled after uh Hell Tanner. Definitely. Uh, in a certain way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Full throttle is is about it's it's a vaguely non-specifically post-apocalyptic sci-fi game about a where you play it, it's an adventure game, so you're kind of like like solving puzzles. 
uh, you play a biker named Ben who has been framed uh, for the more for the murder of the president of Corley Motors. Um, and so you're you're trying to clear your name and get your motorcycle back. And you're kind of having these weird sci-fi biker adventures in the American Midwest. Definitely, definitely feels very evocative of uh, of yeah, uh, Damnation yeah. Alley. Certainly, um, I'd say that Ben is a little bit of a nicer guy. Uh, he doesn't, for instance, carry an SS knife. Uh, maybe yes. not. Not so great. <laughs> Mr. I mean, Mr. so so let let me let me just say that. One of the things that's really interesting about this and, and looping back to the, you know, sort of meatheads waxing philosophical uh, theme that we've you know, like sort of visited, uh, revisited uh, a couple of times already. Um, this, this book really feels like the, it, it's almost like uh, trying to subvert something like, Oh, who would trust the last hell's angel to do, you know, the, the thing that everyone depends on. And uh, it's got like this weird, like, um, like it's, it's funny that given the type of stuff that we read now that he would include like basically someone that is somewhat of a despicable person, um, as the character that everyone's depending on is it, it's it's very strange so you know where that came from right no tell me so uh roger zelazny was working on a story somewhat similar to this uh and he was kind of stuck and struggling with it and he happened to read uh the hunter s thompson uh nonfiction book hell's angels the strange and terrible saga uh, which was a a gonzo journalism account of of Hunter Thompson embedding himself with the Hell's Angels, uh, just kind of riding around with them and you know meeting, getting to know them and learning what they were like, and eventually getting his ass completely kicked uh, by them. Um, and uh, Zelazny happened to read it and went, "Whoa, this is cool! Um, I'd love to write about one of these guys," and so he did. Uh, and so a lot of the details for for Hell Tanner come pretty much directly from that book, including the the weird passing obsession with like Nazi paraphernalia, which doesn't seem to have any particular like Nazi connotations to it. Like I, it's it's not mm -hmm. it's not good, but it doesn't it's it's not clear if it's like any kind of sincere statement of belief or he's just doing it to freak out the squares, um, which. Hell Tanner is constantly describing people as squares and citizens. All, all, all that is pretty much straight from the Hunter S. Thompson uh, book. Where is that? That that was at, at the time. Was the, this story came out in '69. Nice, I believe. Um, and I think the book was from '67 or '68. And uh, all, 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 all that is very directly from. That was like how they talked. They called people squares. Like the world was basically divided up into you know people who were in the Hell's Angels and people who were squares and citizens. Um, and so that apparently is, is why he's like that. Uh, what I think is interesting about it is to, to your point about him being like despicable. He, he, yes, he's humanized in, in being like, com like, you know, he's a bit complex. He eventually kind of, he, he's, he's forced into doing this mission initially. And his, his initial opinion is just, well, fuck everyone who cares if everyone dies. And eventually he's kind of like, he, he doesn't actually really become any less selfish, he goes like, well, maybe I'd like to try being a hero, you know, and just see what that's like. 
and, mm-hmm. and you get to know and understand him a bit, but y- y- you don't you don't exactly find out that oh you know he's a nice guy after all. You you kind of learn the slightly redeeming qualities of a shitty person essentially, but he never actually stops being a shitty person. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, one of the things that um, struck me, and and maybe uh, maybe. I'm, I'm misremembering something, but I interpreted his uh, eventual turn, um, maybe not turn as we're discussing more of a, uh, okay, I'm going to finish the mission was also a, a question of like, he'd only ever gotten to the Mississippi and then it becomes like a personal challenge to him to, to try to make it all the way because I think no one else had actually made it alive. Uh, the, the, the dude Brady from that came from Boston, you know, died en route, but he'd had, uh, what was it? He had like a note or some, he some had a information yeah, on he him. He had a letter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, they find out yeah, about the plague the, through that. The, yeah. There's a bit of pride. There's a bit of like, what is left for me in, in this world? Um, and, and there's a whole lot of just kind of, kind of just being a driven weird shithead. Um, and, and you know he he mentions basically that the only thing he's he's ever been good at is is uh is driving and the only job he's he, he's he, he's ever had uh the only actual job he's ever had was being uh, a mail deliverer basically um d- you know d- driving through part of damnation alley uh and delivering the mail to albuquerque um from mm-hmm. uh from, california. from southern california yeah from southern california and he's like i like that job um, but then my boss w- was an asshole to me, so I kicked his ass and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> King shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that that's how you that's how you get fired from a job. Fuck it. <laughs> um But yeah, um so so uh you know he, he it's it's really funny because it it also um that initial uh foray where they go uh they they go through the first leg of damnation alley out you know like out past la and and all that stuff and probably into nevada before kansas um immediately like the 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 super tornadoes that were that he had to sort of try to figure out how to navigate through and whatnot um it reminded me of the scene in fury road mm-hmm. oh totally like where yeah, they're, totally. they're mm-hmm. driving straight into the storm mm-hmm. Uh, and, and obviously, yeah, like, like, uh, like, I think that, uh, as you said, you know, Miller had, had never been familiar, like at the time wasn't familiar with it, but, but you know, it, it is sort of like, well, it's a bunch of like souped up cars on a mission going from point A to point B. Yeah. There's going to be some, some similarities for sure. One of the things I really love about this book, which I mentioned before, is how beautiful the prose will get unexpectedly. Um, and it mm-hmm. really doesn't start until after there, there's there's little bits and there's little bits and pieces of it. Uh, some of the environmental description of Damnation Alley, like out in the wasteland, you know the the weird the weird colors, like the sky is is like red and then blue, and there's these weird black spiderweb like lines that streak across the sky and uh, you know, it's, it's always very ominous and constantly changing. Um, but, but once most of the, there's three vehicles initially, um, one of them gets crushed by a Gila monster. 
Um, what's the name of your lizard again, Carlo? <laughs> Ged. Ged. So so nice. maybe Ged's big big brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, crushes one of them. Uh, kill, kills one of the guys in it. This guy Greg, who then winds up in uh, in uh, Hell's uh, truck. Um, then the other one gets destroyed by the tornadoes, and then it's just Greg and Hell Tanner uh, driving along. And once this is the two of them, they kind of start becoming friends, and and Hell starts getting a little bit more more introspective. And there's a really nice moment when they get to uh, to Salt Lake City. Um, where uh hell is sitting out back behind this like mechanic shop and he's kind of like looking around and he's he's like ah i smell like the moist grass and it's about to rain and then um i, I i'm just going to read a little a little chunk of it if that's okay um mm-hmm. so he's he's yeah he's sitting out he's sitting out back kind of thinking you know smoking and thinking about what's what's happened uh and it goes um Snorting, he wove within his mind the strands of violence past and fear-like knowledge of trouble yet to come. Behind his eyes, there was a vision of flames, flames encasing his car like the flower of death, two blackening skeletons within, as all the ammo and all the magazines expended itself in a series of mighty explosions. And all the squares who had ever hated him, signifying everybody, gibbered and jeered and shook billy clubs and moved in a wide dancing circle about the pyre. Damn you all, he said then softly, and the shock of white in the sky waved a little wider, bent like an upraised finger, and there came a peal of thunder like laughter. He allowed himself to think of the days when he had been number one, and the thoughts troubled him. He'd missed the fire and the shooting on that night when they had raided the coast and killed or carted off his entire pack. Ever since, he had been a country that a man. That had been his fire, and he'd missed the scene. And then, just a little bit later, he, he basically continues waxing poetic, and there's all this nice imagery about, like, the cricket stops, the birds stop, light pours into the world once more, white and blight and glaring. The skies opened as he sat there like a sea of phosphorus washing out beyond its sores. Everything about him was suddenly limbed in an unnatural brightness. Uh, limbed is a very Zelazny word, L-I-M-N-E-D. Uh, he, he, he loves that word. Uh, and the bowl of the great tree was shrunken by a brilliant entasis that attacked from the, from the north. Every piece of scrap in the heap before him took on a life of its own, and he could almost, listening, hear the rubbish talk of its days and use and usefulness upon the remaining roads of the world. And then Greg comes out and says, it's just about ready, hell. Great. What are you doing out there? Jacking off in my mind. (laughs) I I laughed out loud when I read that. I I, I love that you get these like four pages straight of like beautiful prose about, you know, what's it mean to be, you know, this this lonely good for nothing and like in a dying world and he sums it up as oh i'm just jacking off here in, in my mind <laughs> well i mean it it's it's he's like obviously it's it's a summer like he's summarizing but also like it's a it's a defensive mechanism right mm-hmm. it's it's a way to to put the walls back up uh because why are you gonna let some guy like, like that just you know know that you were thinking poetic thoughts mm-hmm I'll kick his ass if he finds it out. Yeah, there's and I love I love the one-liners in this book. There's not a ton of them, um, but they're there and and they're good. Uh, like uh, so, someone points out, you know, you're not a modal club. Oh, he kicks a guy's ass because um, he he basically impugns his honor as a hell's angel, and he says, "Well, I had to do it. I'm the last of the hell's angels, and I need to protect our honor." And uh, Greg says, but you're not a club anymore. You're just one man. And uh, Hell says, ain't the, 
ain't the last Catholic the Pope? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, nice. It's um would it be appropriate to, for me to talk a little Zelazny Zelazny backstory please or is do. that overkill? No, please do. Okay. okay, so um one of the strange things that ha- happened to Zelazny is that he got he got premature and and uh almost literary success that he wasn't seeking. Hmm. So uh a couple of his books came out, Lord of Light most notably, and uh he he sort of got embraced by a faction of the literary. And they're like like what he's doing is actually uh science fiction poetry, he's reaching to a higher form, blah 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 blah. And then he came out with Creatures of Light and Darkness and they're like, you know, looking at this, everything we were saying before was the purest horseshit and this guy's <laughs> like a bunko artist. Like just totally uh turned it around on him. And I mean I kind of think both positions are right. Like I, he's very comfortable in sort of the Louis L'Amour, let's kick some ass mm-hmm. and talk about sunsets phase. But like he 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 naturally turns a phrase that uh, uh, that p- puts him among the top tiers of writers for like five or six words at a time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he just drops it in there. Like, like the thing about li- being limbed in strange light and the, the entasis in the bowl of the tree. It's like, yeah, he, he, he suddenly shifts into this weird, like, like litfic language that, that even in, it's, it's not even like poetic sci-fi f- and fantasy language. It's just straight up poetic. Um, and it right. just clicks on the page and it's really good when you encounter it and then he'll go right back into, you know, doing the thing he was doing before. And and yeah, I, I agree. He's, he's both things. And I appreciate that. He just, he, he kind of kept doing that. Like I, I appreciate that he, he does his stupid puns and, and he'll show you that he, hell yeah, he can really write, but he also really likes writing about, you, you know, cool, cool guys who smoke and kick people's asses and, and fight with knives and stuff. Well, I mean, isn't isn't that just simply him like showing his love for pulp basically yeah yeah i mean you know i mean yeah. he's flexing i feel a like bit. that's yeah yeah but but i, but I also think oh, oh go ahead i was just say i don't know that he necessarily distinguishes himself from pulp he might but like he certainly he doesn't seem afraid of it right no i i and to be clear i, I wasn't saying that as if he held himself apart i i think that if if he were alive today and I had him in front of me and I asked him, so, you know, do you consider yourself literary or pulp? He'd laugh his ass off because I would have missed the entire point. Mm-hmm. He's both, yeah. obviously. Like, that, that's more or less what we're saying right now. Uh, and, and part of, you know, part of what is um, sort of fun about pulp is that generally speaking, it, it does take these very dumb ideas, but it it takes them very seriously and mm-hmm. to make them into a story. Yeah. And, and pulp, well, pulp often was to be fair, very beautifully written. We, it, it just, that, that just tends to take, to, to take like, uh, like a back burner in discussions of, of, of pulp. But a lot of the people who wrote pulp would definitely, the prose will rise to these like literary pretenses quite, quite often. Yeah. 
Well, and and you know another thing that ties him to Pulp pretty closely is that that his interest in science is story vehicle. Yes. Like he could give two shits about the math of it or whether it's actually possible. He wants he wants to recreate Thor's hammer, so he mentions that it's 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 coated with electerium, and when you throw it, it's like a lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the dude. Yeah. He he also uh, uh, okay. This is uh, I'm going a little bit out on a limb, but I've never heard uh, a bad word about about Zelazny. Um, he just seems to have been a very nice guy by, Mm -hmm. by all accounts. Like when he, I think he passed away in like 96 or 97, I believe maybe a little bit before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's correct. 95. Um, and, uh, there was all these very touching, you know, touching, uh, eulogies, uh, for, for him. And, um, people still periodically just mentioned that he just seemed like a really decent guy. Uh, which is yeah. which is nice because, like I you know I don't know that I have ever actually read an interview uh, with Celeste. I should track I, I should track one down because I bet he gives a pretty decent interview. I'm just guessing. Well, you you know who one of the very um, very kind eulogies was from George right? Martin. I would assume. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like he he said that when he first went out to so so I. Th- I do believe that after he retired from uh, working uh, at Social Security uh, in Baltimore, he he went out. Was it? Uh, it's Santa Fe, right? Yes. Um, so he he went out to Santa Fe, and um, and so uh, I I don't remember if he was one of the founders of what became the Tao's tool, Toolbox. Um, workshop or it just simply coalesced in that area um, because of the amount of writers that just ended up in New Mexico. But mm-hmm. but um, one of the people who moved out to Santa Fe was George R. R. Martin, and he didn't know anyone. And uh, it, apparently Zelazny sort of, uh, I think he put him up for a little bit and then basically became a mentor to him. And Took him around town, showed him to everyone that was also a writer, uh, made sure that he was able to make connections. So, you know, he obviously understood the the debt. And when he gave his eulogy, he explained all that. So, it's, you know, he like you said, Kurt, I do think that, you know, Zelazny uh, is probably one of the gold standards i think i'm i'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say yeah i don't think he he had any sort of like weird whispers or rumors around him he just seemed like a decent guy yeah well i mean it's it's sort of like um you know the mirror mirror star trek episode it's like he's this this shadowy reflection of heinlein <laughs> in that people authors are always coming forward and saying the wonderful things they that he does do except they don't preface it by despite despite the accusations <laughs> of thus and such yeah <laughs> so um also, let me let me point out that one of the one of the really um, it, it's almost uh, funny in a way the way that the the story is structured because uh, in the novel I think that they added like some of the 
little bits from like Boston, from Boston and whatnot. Yes, I was wondering if that's what was added because they feel they're, they're yeah they're they're like little vignettes um, of like the 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 president who is essentially the mayor um, mm-hmm. of uh, of Boston like freaking out about about the death toll. There's a bit with like a street preacher. There's a bit with like with like a doctor. Yeah, and they they're interesting, but they kind of feel disconnected from from the narrative. Yeah. But they're short, yeah. which is nice. I mean, uh, my favorite yeah, they, is are. the entrepreneur. The mm. the the newspaper. Oh, that's magnate. great. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Yes. Talking about how he cornered like 30% of the coffin market and it turns out they're going to cremation. <laughs> like he should have had a heart attack right then. That would have been perfect. <laughs> the only guy that didn't die of the plague in Boston. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree that I don't know that they were absolutely necessary, uh, but I also understand, you know, like why perhaps an editor would be like, well, don't we want to find out a little bit about the Boston people, mm-hmm. uh, to, to sort of establish it and whatnot. Um, can, can I, and, and r- this real was, quick. this was a fix up, right? Go oh, r- r- real quick. The bit, uh, the bit with the entrepreneur, uh, p- part of it, when he's talking about the special edition, the special plague edition of his newspaper that he put out, that was a little bit chilling because it is, uh, dramatically similar to the stuff that like the New York times was, was printing, um, early on in, uh, in a uh, COVID how they had like, you know, they had a, a, a special extra expanded obituary section, all these, uh, these like, you know, plague retrospectives, uh, a, a special featured interview with, you know, major professors, uh, you know, a, a self-diagnosis guide and, and, and the whole thing is, uh, oh, oh, and, and, you know, you know, stories of, of, uh, heroic drivers, you know, who, who are trying to save the world. And so it's, it, and it's very like self-serving. Um, and it's, it, it definitely accurately captions captured what, uh, you know, big newspapers do during, during a plague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah that, it reminded me of uh like special editions of of comic books <laughs> it's like yes it had a black border yeah the next printing would have like you know uh like a holographic image <laughs> um but yeah uh apart from that like i did find that weirdly once you get out of like the american southwest area uh things sort of even out in spots and then you get more sort of weird um it's almost episodic where, yeah. where it, it it feels it feels um i don't want to say funny in a humorous way but it's it's sort of clever right uh the one that really got me that was just really oddball to Is me it the, was scientist? The, uh, the scientist the scientist i love that oh, I love God, the scientist i loved him <laughs> oh you you don't Oh, you haven't mimicked. You you gotta you gotta you gotta blend in, and then he, you find out like, hey, oh god, that was so good. It was so good. Yeah, he, it's like because he's a biologist, you know. He he knows about uh, what was it, Batesian uh, mimicry yeah, Batesian or whatever mim- mimicry. And and what so so yeah so so hell hell has um at this point it's still hell and Greg. This is this sounds like a web comic. Hell and Greg. Sounds like a webcomic I don't want to read, actually. But I did want to read this. Uh, Gr- Greg, uh, b- basically, H- Hell is like, tell me about your family. And Greg tells him about his family. And then after the the whole novel up to this point, it's like around the halfway mark, um, Greg has been kind of cajoling Hell about like, why are you such a fucking asshole? 
Like what? And and Hell's like, I don't know. It's always worked for me. I don't care about anybody. I don't care about nothing and nobody. You know, I I don't care about Boston. Who cares if they all die? Um, and, and then and then eventually Hell kind of talks his way into being like, actually, you know, maybe I maybe I'd like to be the hero. Maybe it would be different to save the day for once. Um, and Greg suddenly gets cold feet, and so Hell beats the shit out of him. Uh, and concusses him, and so uh, Hell gets all excited when he he sees this guy who looks like a doctor. Um, and the guy explains that you know he's he's a biologist. He studied butterflies basically. He doesn't know anything about 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 medicine. Um, and he says, but you know I survived. Uh, basically, the the purges like after the, after the nuclear war, they blamed the hard sciences, um, and people went to the universities and killed all of the hard science professors. And this biologist survived by joining the mob and killing all of the other professors as they eventually worked their way through all the other disciplines, including like English and sociology and and literature. Um, and so there were like there were no professors left. Um, and uh, Hell goes, but but so you you just helped them kill your friends? And he says they weren't my friends; they were in different disciplines. I hardly knew them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, and then then uh, what is it? And then uh, it, it's great because then he goes like, "Oh, so uh, you, you didn't care about?" Or, or what is it that he asks him? He's like, "So you just you know forgot about them?" And then he's like, he digs his hand like he's got his hands like on his cheeks like throughout the throughout the whole encounter, and then he digs his fingers into his cheeks till blood comes out. He's like, "I can't forget," and it's like, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> <laughs> He is he is a fucking mess. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he's also like super suicidal. He just can't live with himself anymore, even though he survived. And that's sort of like part of the funny, funny aspect of it, yeah. because he, he he pulls like a, a, a sort of like a, you know, oh, I got a gun, you yeah. know, and and well, uh, Hal has to shoot him. Right. You know who he is? Zelazny's midway silly dude. <laughs> like, it's almost like a law. All of his books, Midway has a silly. You're right. Dude. You know what? <laughs> I love. Oh, so I this is that. this is like the meme, huh? It's, yeah. Let's do it silly this time. <laughs> I I will admit, and I've probably like I read the story a fair number of times when I was young, but one thing that caused me excitement now that was more a more childish reaction than any I happened as a kid was when he drove through Topeka. <laughs> I was like, I was Woo! wondering about that Pete. Yeah. <laughs> like representation. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, honestly, Topeka gets outside outsized rep, uh, representation because you guys know what it is. I mean, <laughs> Topeka is a recognizable name, which is I, I, that, that's ridiculous representation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it, it should be completely obscure. <laughs> Sorry. Back to the book. Uh, yeah, I, no, no. I, what I, one of the things that I like is, is that, that episodic structure of it, because it, it allows for these big jumps, um, that are very elegantly done where it's just like, well, he's just driving and driving and driving and driving for most of it. Uh, and it would be boring if, you know, it was just about him driving. And so it, it, it very much, it, it's, it's essentially a road trip. And so it lends itself to these little vignettes where, you know, I uh, can't, you know, hell, hell, uh, meets a woman and she becomes his girlfriend and they drive together for a while and then she dies and, and hell gets all upset and he makes like a little gravestone for her. 
you know, or, you know, hell gets a new mark. Hell, hell meets this, this weirdly wholesome family and the little boy like takes a liking to him and, and hell's kind of like awkwardly trying to act like a, you know, like a nice guy for a little bit. Uh, it, it's just these, these weird little like m- moments. And I, I feel like that the fact that, that they are vignettes gives them attention that they wouldn't otherwise have. Uh, because you know that hell's going to move on pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and that means that anything could happen to these people. Like it, it's, it's just as plausible that, that they say, bye bye, Mr. Tanner and wave as he drives away as, you know, he wakes up and bandits have attacked and everyone's dead. Uh, and so it, it, yeah. it feels like, like the stakes are potentially very high in, in, in all of them in a way that it, it wouldn't have been quite so much if, you know, if, if Zelazny had kept the rest of, of the crew around basically. Mm-hmm. Well, in another way, it's low because like you find yourself as hell talks, like he becomes no better a person because but he com- becomes more relatable. Yes. And like, as he goes through life, not giving a shit about the apocalypse, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I land by the time he gets to the motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe that just means I'm a sociopath, but you know, I I mean, I don't know. I I think that it's, it's um, like, you know, by the time you are, you know, like three quarters of the way through the novel, like where he meets up with, I, I, I just thought of, Oh, these are the post-apocalyptic Amish people. You know, I assumed that they um, were going to turn out to be cannibals. I, I, yeah. Like I was, I was waiting for like a, a twist and it turns out that the, the subversion was just simply that they're just nice people. Yeah. They're just nice. They're just nice <laughs> people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but, uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, by by that point, you have seen him through. He's close enough that you start really rooting for him, even though he's a complete bastard. Mm-hmm. Well, because he he could he he has a shot. You know, he finally mm-hmm. does have a shot. Well, w- mm-hmm. one of the things that I think becomes clear is that he's he's not he's not lying when he says like driving is who I am. Because the more he drives and the more he's able to leave civilization behind, kind of the, the like the smarter and more thoughtful he becomes. Like when he's yeah. trying to function in society, he's just a fucking asshole all the time to everyone around him because people keep asking him to do things. Um, and then and then they they kind of give him the best possible thing. They give him an an almost indestructible tank that has you know, a, a well-stocked refrigerator. It has cigarettes, it, you know, it's got, it's got flamethrowers and they say, just drive, <laughs> just, just keep driving. And, you know, once, once he's not surrounded by this structure, once it's just him and Greg, he's kind of able to open up more and start talking and start like re- reflecting on his life and who he is and why he acts the way he does. And, and, you know, it, um, w- we we were trying to figure out what the difference is between the novel and the 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 uh, novella were, and we initially thought that one of the differences was um so hell hell has a brother named I think Denny I I, I believe yeah uh yeah. who who initially is had signed up to go at, in one of the other vehicles, and hell like kicks his ass as soon as he sees him. And they go, Jesus Christ, why'd you do that? And he goes, well, 
I didn't want my brother to go. He's a good kid. He's not all messed up in, you know, in in crime and and you know, being a shithead like I am. Uh he doesn't need the money that that badly and this makes this guarantees that that he can't go because I've broken a bunch of his ribs. And later on Greg's like, "Tell me about your brother. Like, wh- why did you wh- why did you do that?" Um, and, and so Hell starts talking about his childhood a little bit and like why he sees the world the way he does. And it's basically just like the, he's a person that the less constraints are, are, are upon him. The more his, his life can just be reduced to go in this direction in a cool vehicle, kind of like the nicer and more normal he becomes until, you know, finally when he, he, when he does meet this family, that's just like a nice family he's able to act like nice and and normal because he doesn't feel like there's expectations being placed upon him. They're just like, Oh, here's a guy and we're going to be nice to him. We're not going to try to make him do stuff for us. We're not going to push him around. Um, And you know, the, whether or not the requirements that society placed upon him were reasonable. um, I, I think, you know, don't, don't, do crimes is somewhat of a reasonable restriction. Uh, don't murder people. Certainly a reasonable restriction. Um, but you know, the, the, the less people are asking of him, the more he's willing to do for people essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. Oh, and, uh, I did want to point out that he does, uh, uh, apart from, uh, breaking his ribs so that he can't come because he would have been like in truck number two, which is the first one to go. <laughs> uh, he also tells him like, uh, Denny is like, Oh, I met a, I met a girl and we, you know, want to get a house together and blah, blah. And he's like, you know, he basically gives him instructions to, uh, you got to go to this tree and, you know, in, in this, uh, you know, dig, dig this deep and in a strong mm-hmm. box, it's almost good, probably going to be rusted out by now. You're going to find basically, uh, was it five thousand dollars of of savings that he's you know stowed away there so he he can you know at least walk away with something in his pocket if he wants mm-hmm. to continue buying the house even though yeah. later on when Greg asks him he says ah he's just girl crazy you know he probably th- he thinks that this is the one that it might not be you know but he he didn't want him to to you know like basically take this risk when you know. Uh, hell's a much better is much better at it and surviving in uh very bad conditions you know so uh, carlo i i think that is on point and perfect and i think of the people in the pause pod you're most likely to do that one out of a hundred uh wonderful phrase that just sort of sticks with me and you just did the negative of that <laughs> what which is uh beat him so he couldn't come (laughs) (laughs) and i'm I'm sorry you you said that and i i sort of tracked what you said after that but i was just sitting there going jesus well (laughs) just seeing seeing equations dancing in front of me yeah i mean i was i was uh uh, i was the heather at the award ceremony (laughs) so one of the things do you what what did you guys think of the big machine? Do you remember the big machine? Oh, I love yeah, yes, yes. I love that idea. Honestly, I love that idea. And I also love that uh he, he came to the realization that yeah, there there was it's, no big Yeah, machine. it's it's just a metaphor. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a nice like childhood disillusionment. Like so so like b- basically hell is 
I think he's with with, with like the Amish family, maybe. Um, I forget who he's with, but he's he's talking to someone, and they're like, "What did you want Wasn't to be?" The kid? Yeah, yeah, it's the kid. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. And he, yeah. and he was like, "What did you ever want to be something other than this?" And he goes, "Yeah, I wanted to be the keeper of the machine." And the kid goes, "The, the machine?" He goes, "Yeah, you know." The big machine. I had a teacher who told me that the world was like a big machine. It had, you know, it, it, there was everything had a purpose. It all functioned. There was some things were like gears. Some things were like pistons. Some things were like chains. They all had to work together so that the world could could function. And I decided that I wanted to be the mechanic of the big machine of the world. I wanted to make sure that the world was working correctly. And so I sat there the rest of school, imagining myself taking care of the big machine. And then eventually I, I realized that it was just a metaphor. And like, that was all that I had ever wanted to be. And the kid goes, okay, but if there was a big machine, would you still want to take care of it? And he goes, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, I, I love that because it's such like a it's such like a funny like childhood sincerity thing, and and his willingness again to engage. I'd be like, yeah, you know, I guess I I actually would kind of still like to take care of the big machine. Is <laughs> is I don't yeah. know. It's like weirdly touching and like a stupid macho guy way. Yeah, well, yeah. It's it's the it's the living like a six year old mm. thing. Like uh uh, you know, Bruce Willis in Twelve Monkeys mm-hmm. when he gets in a fight with somebody and he fights like a six year old. That's <laughs> fucking terrifying. Yes. I mean, hell's kind of like that. I mean, he his only restraints are self-imposed when he decides to put them there. Otherwise, I could totally see him biting your ear off because he's pissed. Yeah, he yeah. he demolishes yeah, people, uh, quite a few people. And it's almost just written about offhandedly. Like, it's not yeah. it's not most it, it's uh, the, the the biggest knockdown drag out fight is is probably um, when he meets. Uh, other outlaw bikers on the East Coast, and they don't believe mm-hmm. that he's the last Hell's Angel, and they try to steal his bike, uh, and then he totally murderizes all of them and like blows them up with a grenade, and then he like stabs the their their leader, and everyone's burning to death, and he gets busted up, and then he wakes up like like hours later, covered in blood, and 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 I think. I think he like winds up like finding the highway or something and and that's that's how he he manages to get like the rest of the way. Uh but um that's probably the the biggest uh the biggest fight that he actually has that's like more than him just wrecking someone. Right. Yeah. Or pressing a button and killing 3000 bats. Yes, that too. Yeah. So uh l- l- let me um take a couple minutes here or, or maybe a minute or so to Talk about the adaptation to this to film. Oh, can we can we finish the story real quick? Oh, go for it. Yes, I love how the story finishes. So uh, he he's basically gotten completely fucked up, and he he just barely manages to stagger up to the gates of Boston, and they think he's like a looter, and he gives and he he has to pull a grenade on them to to like convince them to let him come in and he delivers the serum and it ends on it it ends initially on this ambiguous note uh that it seems like maybe he's dying um and you find out that you know they they put up a big uh statue of hell tanner um and he's now seen as this you know this this great hero uh and uh and then on the day that that it was to be uh unveiled 
somebody scrawled a bunch of obscene words uh, on the statue of uh, of a hell tanner. Uh, and it turns out to be hell himself who isn't dead. Um, he busts out of the city, steals a bunch of cars and drives off into the sunset. Uh, and they clean up the statue. And it says the where, where the, in uh, Boston Common, where the winds still break about him. And the heavens still throw garbage. <laughs> and, and so basically he, he keeps being hell, uh, but he gets to be a hero in the minds of some people anyway, even though he also kind of like, you know, flips it off, uh, which is a very hell tanner way of ending the story. So. But yes, talk about yep. the movie. I, I still haven't watched it. Carlo, oh should I goodness. watch this excellent, this no doubt excellent film? It is a awful 90 <laughs> so um that's so, okay so uh the only thing that's somewhat interesting about it is the 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 trucks uh that that they use but basically all the countercultural stuff all the stuff that would be like there's no hell tanner uh it's basically what is it? Uh, Jan Michael Vincent as Lieutenant Dan Tanner, <laughs> and uh, George Papard as uh, or is it Greg Greg Papard? I, I forgot the guy. The guy Hannibal from a a team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Who who then is like the general? I uh, oh, it's General Denton. Who is Denton? Is the mayor in L.A. <laughs> who sends Tanner on his mission, and basically it is. Um, let me, let me say this. They have a, an extended sequence, uh, where they show, uh, sort of like, uh, missiles headed towards, uh, the U S um, uh, weirdly they're trying to do star Wars. Um, they launch a bunch of missiles like it's missile command <laughs> to destroy the oncoming missiles, but only 40% of them are destroyed. um, which then, uh, you know, there's there's just a little bit of, um, you know, like uh, Cold War fear uh, thrown in there just to just to make sure that you think that the the USSR is just insane and they have fifty bajillion uh, missile warheads. Um, so it turns out that this war has uh, tilted the Earth on its axis. Makes sense. And s- yes. Uh, and so basically the, uh, they, they just drive around, they get to Las Vegas. There's an extended scene. Like this is all very much in a, um, made for TV movie feeling. This, uh, feels like, uh, like a, like basically was it, it was it, uh, what is the, the, the series that you were talking about? Uh, Kurt, um, Sequest DSV Sequest. Yes. But, <laughs> but dry dry quest <laughs> they're just sort of like and instead of a submarine it's just this long tube like truck uh with three wheels that looks like um a prototype uh for like the moon patrol game buggy you know that those uh, worked right they they built them and they they actually worked like they actually had a completely un- each of those trucks cost a million dollars in 1974 or whenever it was money um that <laughs> I mean, must have been like it's, half it's of the great, budget it's yeah it's it's a great prop i am not going to i'm not going to lie uh, which is but, why they reused it in other things 
Yes, I, I was going to say that I'd, I'd seen it in other stuff as well. But but so, um, Kurt, let me just point out that they drive around. Um, uh, one of the uh, one of the crew gets eaten by mutant carnivorous cockroaches uh, that just swarm him, and he decides that uh, the thing that he's going to do is not to run away. It's to get into an abandoned car. And, uh, and then basically he gets eaten alive. Um, not sure of the reasoning there, but anyway, the, they just drive around and then eventually like they meet a kid, uh, they meet some weirdos, uh, you know, in some saloon and then eventually nothing happens. It, there's no, there's no plague. There's no serum. They just drive. And then suddenly there's like a gigantic storm that they're in. Like, it looks like they're in some sort of salt flats. Like imagine, imagine, you know, like driving around the salt flats and then suddenly they're underwater. And I guess we're led to believe that the axis of the earth fixed itself. The end. Wait, there's no, there's no plague. There's no Boston. There's no plague. There's no Boston. By the time it ends, uh, they all they uh, basically it shows that um, not only uh, I guess not only did the axis uh, sort of like restore the Earth to its proper balance, but it also sort of went back in time uh, because suddenly they're receiving radio transmissions from other uh, communities nearby that are perfectly fine. Huh. And it ends with them sort of being received by a, a crowd of people who are happy to see them. Huh. <laughs> well, it I is. like the part about no Boston. Uh, the rest of it doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> no Boston. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, I do not recommend, uh, Pete. I mean, even, even if you were bored out of your mind, I would not recommend this to you. I, I honestly, I think I watched it a while ago. Not that I remember it. I just remember a strong aversion to that film. Apparently, <laughs> the young boy is Jackie Earl Haley. That's who it is. Okay. Uh, he Wasn't he the one in uh, Bad News Bears? I believe he was like in Bad the, the News picture? Bears. And you know who else he was? He was Rorschach in uh, the Watchmen oh, film. Oh, jeez. You know what? I had not made that connection. Of, of your, you're locked in here with me, fame. Oh, you know, that's, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens when you're a child actor. You end up being Rorschach. Sorry, folks. Um, Jan Michael yeah, Vincent. Yeah. <laughs> it is of Airwolf fame. Yeah. Oh, my God. God, I used to watch Dude, that Airwolf stupid show. ass. Not a not <laughs> a great film, but I, I mean, it's such a challenge, right? To be like, what if there was a guy whose superpower was that he had a helicopter? Um, so well, every, not, it's not a only, genre. I mean, Blue Thunder is the same fucking film except a helicopter. Yes, wasn't Blue Thunder more about surveillance though? No, it was about a super special vehicle. There was also oh, uh, there. I mean, there was Knight a Rider. bunch of films yes. in the uh, in the hot on the heels of Knight Rider, where there was one with like a guy with a super motorcycle. There was a bunch of helicopter ones. There was definitely one with a with a guy with a boat. I want to say there 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 
What? Wait. What? What was the Hulk Hogan uh, TV show with uh, the speedboat? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, I, uh, gratefully, I, I don't. <laughs> I I feel like uh, Kurt, you're 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 mentioning this, and I I didn't think I knew, but now I feel like I'm getting like weird glimpses of memories from some other dimension. Thunder in Paradise, where I there. It's called Thunder in Paradise. It's a it's a TV series. Uh, in 1994, two former Navy SEALs work as mercenaries with a high-tech boat. Um, and and yes, it's uh, basically Airwolf with a with a boat. <laughs> we, we, sea, we covered we covered the all wolf. all the Sea Wolf, the Airwolf, the Land Wolf. Uh, what, are we missing a, an element here? Uh, a terrain, perhaps? <laughs> uh, I, I I I I did want to point out that Airwolf reuse that shot of the the helicopter doing the flip <laughs> so many times oh yeah it was like the battlestar galactica thing where i mean they used they used the same shooting thing i'm talking about the 70s one every episode one, had the same dogfight. <laughs> yeah the good exactly exactly the 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 one who had a structured plot yes oh it did <laughs> well it, uh, you know what uh, i i'll i'll not I'll not uh, get too far into it. I think I, I maybe dipped into a little bit of season three of uh, Battle BSG, as the kids call it, and I, uh, I did not continue after that. I I loved it, but the ending made me angry. I, I heard that from a lot of people, and that's why I just um, you know what uh, I I even forgot a lot of the stuff that I'd seen from like season three. So mm-hmm. basically, the the last thing that stands out to me in my mind is oh the t- the Pegasus double the 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 double episode Pegasus one was ah so good. Anyway, uh, one of the things that's very important about this is that it is not the fucking novel we're talking about. <laughs> so. I, I suppose that we should probably wrap it up unless we have any extra uh, last thoughts, extra thoughts, I, extraneous I thoughts know. we've been having. I, I, I just it's uh, worth reading. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's worth it's it's worth reading. Uh, it's got some fun characters. It's not especially long. It moves along quite quickly. Quickly. It's got some funny bits. It's got some cool bits. It's got some serious bits. Um, it's got a five page soliloquy f- about, uh, about the nature of the universe from, from the, the point of view of, of, uh, biker guy, snake Pliskin. <laughs> it's got everything. <laughs> also, I'll point out that it's, v- we've been, we've been saying that it's, you know, sort of like pulpy, but also with literary, you know, sort of aspirations or, or maybe not aspirations, but sort of like a literary bent to it. Um, I will also add uh, super breezy to read. And that Mm -hmm. seems like to contradict what I just said, but it's not, it is really easy to read. I mean, it is Zelazny. Um, I think the only uh, parts where I, I had to sort of like slow down a little bit were like the long sequences where it's a back and forth dialogue. Because sometimes you lose. You know, he he loves to just use un untagged dialogue uh, for long stretches, and sometimes I I just sort of like yeah. wait, who said that again? I did that once or twice too. There's there's definitely um, parts where he's talking with Greg uh, because Hell and Hell and Greg kind of talk a little bit somewhat more s- similarly than other characters do. Mm-hmm. And so there's definitely a couple spots like that for for me too. 
Yeah, I think it's I worth always, reading. I always visualize Greg as Greg Brady. It somehow makes him more palatable. <laughs> <than me. laughs> All right. Well, um, I suppose that is it. I don't have any further thoughts. Um, just go read it, folks, if you haven't done so already. Go take care of the big um, machine. Yep. Don't don't watch the movie. Um, <laughs> in any case, uh, if that is it, gents, I want to thank you for... Uh, Kurt, first off, thanks for, for giving me an excuse to read this, because I, I know that Damnation Alley is like one of the uh, titles that, uh, that that sort of made Zelazny. I just never got around to it. Um and uh, thanks for giving me an excuse to read it. It was it was a delight. Uh, and I, uh, it, thanks, it seems like whenever it seems it. like whenever you read a book, you immediately write uh, a story that is not not riffed on it, but is some way derived from elements of it. So I look forward to your you know uh, emotional dark fantasy story about a big huge biker guy. That's that. You know. There you go. <laughs> Tell me when you write hey, it. You know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the, the fantasy, uh, like the, the biker Lord of the Rings. Imagine that. <laughs> that, that would be pretty cool, actually. <laughs> actually, right. <laughs> I, I toss it off as a, as a joke. It's, but it's the I'm Council of Elrond, but then also Hell Tanner's there. He's like, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just they, drive just, it there no, on they, my motorcycle. <laughs> there's no, there's no council. It's just the guy that can fight the best is the one that they listen to. <laughs> Yeah, they they call it the Council of Hellrond. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> Zing. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening in, folks. Go read the book. Don't watch the movie. Catch y'all later here at Podside.